Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and we like to begin our show with a prayer, and we will be praying the Angelus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived of the Holy Spirit. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Be it done unto me according to your word. Hail Hail Mary, Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. And the Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us. Hail Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God, that we may be made worthy of the promises of Christ. Let us pray. Pour forth, we beseech you, O Lord, your grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ your Son was made known by the message of an angel, may by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Today is the memorial of St. Maximilian Kolbe, and so Bishop starts off this episode by reflecting upon the life of this Franciscan priest and martyr who died at Auschwitz. Then it's on to the Assumption of Mary into Heaven, and this Sunday's Gospel reading, which includes Jesus telling his disciples, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already blazing. Submit a question for Bishop to answer by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop. Welcome to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our good Bishop. Thank you again for taking some time out of your busy schedule for us. You're welcome, Kyle. Good to be here. Today is the memorial of St. Maximilian Kolbe. Uh, we actually talked about him two years ago when his feast came up, but thought it's worth repeating some of the highlights of, of his life. What an incredible life. I mean, I think he'd be a saint even if he hadn't been a martyr. Hmm. His zeal for evangelization, uh, his work in Japan and in Poland. I was uh, so fortunate to attend his canonization in Rome, and uh, it was the largest crowd I'd ever seen in St. Peter's Square. Uh And then also to pray in his cell at Auschwitz. That was really um, very meaningful. But What a great priest, his devotion to Our Lady. He founded, of course, the Militia Immaculada, which um, really is a Marian group. But again, it was um, his devotion to Mary in all his efforts at at spreading the gospel of Christ is incredible. Of course, everything reached its climax when, as you know, when he was arrested by the Gestapo and sent to Auschwitz. And I recently gave a little talk about this, about, you know, really Auschwitz was hell on earth. Mm-hmm. I mean, the most evil, the most cruel place where human dignity was trampled upon. And, and it was a place of such hatred. Mm-hmm. And it was like one author said, Maximilian Kolbe being there, Father Kolbe, it's like God had snuck into hell because he brought love to that place. Yeah. Um, 
he served the other prisoners. He, he, he talked to them and prayed with them, gave of his food to them. He brought a, the hope of the gospel. And I think when he gave his life, when he volunteered to take the place of another prisoner who was slated to be killed, that was just kind of like a natural, just something natural because he had been giving his life already as a priest to the Lord and to others. So this was very natural for him to step forward to save this other man's life, the man who cried out that he had a wife and children who needed him. And mm -hmm. he said, take me instead. And the, the soldiers jeered at him and, and they, they did, they took him and saved that man's life. He was there at the canonization mass, uh, which was amazing to see in his 90s, I think by that time. But even when he and the other prisoners, there were nine others who were uh, starving to death, he led them in prayer and in hymns. And um, they all died except him. He was the last one still alive, and therefore they gave him a injection of carbolic acid, which, which killed him. But he's a martyr of the church, and he reigns with Christ. Um, so he is one of my favorite saints. Uh, of course, I have so many favorite saints. <laughs> but what an example for priests. It's a beautiful story. He was a Franciscan, a man of courage, a man of love. You know, he died on this day, August 14th, you know, the vigil of the Feast of the Assumption. And um, it's great that we honor him throughout the world. This is a memorial, so it's a saint that that's honored everywhere. Um, it's not an optional memorial, it's a real memorial. Mm -hmm. So it's good every year to uh, to celebrate this great witness of Christ. Yeah. You mentioned his dedication to the Blessed Mother, and we have the Solemnity of the Assumption tomorrow. And you were actually traveling out of the country last year during this feast day, and Father Andrew Budzinski filled in and offered some reflections on on the assumption for us. But can you talk maybe a little bit about what the assumption is and why that is important for us as Catholics? It's a beautiful mystery. Mary was assumed body and soul into heaven. One of her titles that I really like, it's the motto of Mount St. Mary's Seminary and University is Spes Nostra, our hope, Mary as our hope. And I think her assumption into heaven, she was taken into heaven because she shared so fully in the life of her son. She was united to him, to his mission. She was there from the beginning. She was there at the incarnation because the son of God became flesh in her womb. She was there at our redemption, faithfully standing at the foot of the cross, sharing in the suffering of her son. It's only natural that at the end of her earthly life, that she would be taken up, assumed into heaven by her son. On the Feast of the Assumption, we always hear that reading uh, from St. Paul where he talks about how all who belong to Christ will rise with him, that he will destroy death forever. That's what we celebrate on the Feast of Mary's Assumption. This victory of Jesus over death shines out in Mary, who was assumed into heaven at the end of her earthly life. Death, think about it, death came into the world because of Adam's sin. And it was the no, the disobedience of Eve. Mary is the new Eve who mm -hmm. said yes. Mm -hmm. And therefore, the gates of heaven were open for us. So she is a sign of our hope. We're all destined to die, but death isn't the last word. 
the assumption of Mary assures us that death is the passage to life, that um, to encounter with God. So where she's gone, we all hope to follow. And she really shows us the way yeah. to eternal life, the way to heaven. I think it's really a beautiful feast for us to, to celebrate. Mary's the first fruits of the new humanity. She was just a creature. She's not a goddess, she's a creature. But it was in her that the mystery of Christ took full effect. Uh, he redeemed her from death and conveyed her body and soul to the kingdom of immortal life. Sometimes we think of the assumption, you think, oh, this is so far from us, it's remote mystery. But really it isn't. We're all children of Mary, our mother. We all aspire to happiness. To, we all aspire to be with God. We're all on that journey. And Mary helps us on this journey and she encourages us. She teaches us to live by faith like she did and to, to follow the way of her son. She said at the wedding feast of Cana, do whatever he tells you. And that's what she counsels us to do as well. And when we find ourselves in difficulty or trials on our way towards God, we can ask for her help, you know, and she'll help us with her prayers, with her intercession. All we have to do is take, take hold of her hand and, mm -hmm. and she helps us and she comforts us in the trials and the challenges of daily life. So I hope everyone has a very blessed feast of the Assumption. It's a glorious day. And it's a day of hope for all of us. Yeah. Is it a holy day of obligation? It is. Okay. Yes. The assumption is a holy day. So make sure to get to Mass. Exactly. This is your reminder. Exactly. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think the church has an official teaching on if she died before the ascension or if she ascended while still living. Well, Just it, that she yeah, did we usually ascend. speak of it as her falling asleep. Uh -huh. As a matter of fact, the, the Orthodox and the Eastern churches speak of the dormition of mary mm -hmm. the main fact though is even if that falling asleep was death it wasn't death as we know it because death as we know it is the separation of body and soul okay that did not happen in mary she was assumed body and soul into heaven so perhaps it was at the very instant of her death that she was assumed and um so it's it's more appropriate i think to speak of Mary's dormition. And I suppose one of the, the evidence, not that we need physical proof of it, but the fact that we have so many bones of different saints, those early saints, the apostles, but we don't have any bones for Mary or Jesus is another right. example of this bodily ascension and assumption yeah. into heaven. Ex yes, exactly. And we, we speak of ascension because Jesus ascended by his own power. Mm -hmm. Mary was assumed it wasn't by her power, but it was the power of her son. All right, great. And then also just one other mention, we mentioned it last week, but on the 17th, you will be in Huntington for a special mass for the sick. If people are available to go to that, it's uh, August 17th. At St. Felix Friary. Yeah. All right. Well, coming up, we'll talk about Sunday's gospel, about starting fires some upcoming events, and your questions right here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, and coming up this Sunday, the gospel comes from Luke chapter 12, and I feel like this starts off really great. I'm with it. 
It's I have come to set the earth on fire. Great. We how I wish it was already blazing. Yes, I can see how we've maybe fallen short of your anticipate anticipation here. But then it kind of gets into some challenging things here, and kind of curious for your take on this gospel. Well, why don't I read the gospel? It's sure. not too long, and that way the listeners will be ready for, for hearing it on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Jesus said, I have come to set the earth on fire, and how I wish it were already blazing. There is a baptism with which I must be baptized, and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you but rather division. From now on, a household of five will be divided, three against two and two against three. A father will be divided against his son and a son against his father, a mother against her daughter and a daughter against her mother, a mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. So as you said, Kyle, the beginning is those, those famous words of Jesus, I have come to set the earth on fire and how I wish it were already blazing. Mm-hmm. And then he starts talking about a baptism. He says, there's a baptism with which I must be baptized and how great is my anguish until it is accomplished. So these words, fire and baptism, hmm. John the Baptist, if you remember, had prophesied about the Messiah who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. Mm -hmm. So the combination here in Jesus' words of fire and then baptism looks forward really to Jesus sending the Holy Spirit, the, the tongues of fire at Pentecost. The disciples were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire at Pentecost. You know, Jesus is saying he longs to see this fire blazing. He longs to see his mission accomplished. But Jesus is talking about that first, though, he must suffer the baptism of his passion and death. The Spirit isn't going to be sent until Jesus has uh, suffered, died, and risen. Hmm. So Jesus is is looking forward to accomplishing this. He 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 says he has to be baptized first. In other words, baptized through his passion and his death. His anguish then would be completed, you know, mm-hmm. and of course he rises from the dead. And we know that that Jesus came to offer peace. I mean, we read in other gospels, Jesus says, peace be with you yeah. and, and all of that. But the fact is some reject that offer of peace. Um, and that's what he's talking about here that since some reject his offer of peace, he brings division. This division will even affect family relationships, Mm -hmm. father and son, mother and daughter, mother-in-law and daughter-in-law, all of this. You know, all this, by the way, was foretold by the prophet Micah in the Old Testament. There's a, in Micah chapter seven, verse six, he says, for the son belittles his father, The daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and your enemies are members of your household. So even in the Old Testament, we have this description of family strife. 
and even at the time that Luke wrote this gospel, probably this was happening where some members of a family became Christian and others didn't. Mm -hmm. You know, so there was division in families. We see it today. Sure. I mean, it's painful. It's very painful. But there is this division that happens. Not always, but often, mm -hmm. you know, um, you can see that. And of course, as disciples of Jesus, you know, he must come first even before family to be faithful to him, even if it means you're going to be rejected by the family or certain members of the family for being a practicing Catholic. I know families like that, mm -hmm. you know, who've been rejected. I've seen people become Catholic. And then, I mean, think of St. Elizabeth Ann Seton. She was really ostracized by her family and her friends in New York when she converted from being an Episcopalian to a Catholic. Uh -huh. um, there's sometimes I know seminarians who've been rejected by family members when they've gone to the seminary. Mm -hmm. So I think this gospel ha it comes true a lot, you know, yeah. it happens. Getting back to the beginning of the gospel is good for us to, to also remember that, that sentence of Jesus. It's, I have come to set the earth on fire and how I wish it were already blazing. Mm -hmm. I think this is the idea of having zeal for our mission of evangelization, of spreading the gospel. When St. Ignatius of Loyola would send out the Jesuit missionaries like St. Francis Xavier, he would say to them, go, set the world on fire. Yeah, you know. So that's a good thing for us to think about because we still have that missionary mandate right. to set the world on fire to bring Christ and his gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our mission. All right. Well, another thing I wanted to talk about is some of the things that you have coming up. You've got two big blessings that are coming up uh, on August 18th. There is the blessing of some new construction and an organ at St. Pius X in Granger. And then on the 22nd, You've got a blessing of the new football field over at Bishop Dwinger High School and an all-school mass. So these blessings, is this something that comes up a lot or is it just a coincidence that these... Oh, I don't, no, it comes up a lot. Okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm blessing thing, uh, places all the time, <laughs> yeah. Kyle. But it's good. I, yeah, it's great. It shows there's growth, you know. And, and um, you know, it's amazing. St. Pius X Parish in Granger, you know, the beautiful, beautiful new church. Uh -huh. You know, I blessed... Some years ago, the school, in addition to the school, this is now the new construction in Oregon at their uh, at their parish. So the, the people there, I mean, that's that's a very vibrant parish, and so much going on, so many ministries, so much growth took place. They needed a bigger church, they needed all these extra spaces, and, mm -hmm. and it's been a long time waiting for the organ. So that will be neat to have the the new pipe organ installed into the church, and I can't wait to hear it. It actually was the organ that was at the Basilica of the Sacred Heart at Notre Dame, right. the old organ. So it's really good. I remember reading about that, and it's it has been restored. Is That's that right. what they were They're, waiting on? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And so recently we talked about the dedication of an altar and the, the process of that is blessing an organ, just sprinkle with some holy water, or does it yeah. also involve Special chrism prayer? Or? No, no, no chrism okay. for an organ. Chrism is only used on persons or on altars 
or on the walls of new churches. Okay. Yeah, yeah, but not on organs. Okay, and yeah. probably not football fields then. <laughs> not on a football field either. <laughs> Just holy water. Okay. Yeah, so, and that's that's going to be neat. Bishop Dwanger, uh, you know, I'll have mass there and and bless the the new football field. You know, and it's going to be on August twenty second, which is the feast of the Queenship of Mary, hmm. and of course that's the feast day for Bishop Dwyer High School because some years ago, I assigned as the patron saint for Bishop Dwyer High School, Mary, Queen of All Saints. So, okay. so she's, and you'll see that when you go in their beautiful new chapel that I blessed a few years ago, mm-hmm. they have a beautiful painting of, of the coronation of Mary mm-hmm. by Jesus as queen of heaven and earth. And then you have stained glass windows of different saints in the in the chapel. So it's neat that we'll have the blessing of the football field on their feast day. Yeah. The queenship of Mary, which always takes place one week after the Assumption. So the oh. feast of the Assumption is August 15th. August 22nd is the memorial of the queenship of Mary. It's not the same level of solemnity. I mean, the Assumption is a holy day. It's a solemnity. The queenship of Mary is just a regular memorial. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. If people haven't seen the the chapel, definitely stop by and ask for a tour. It's really beautiful. And I will also note that the opening game at the new stadium will be August 30th. And Redeemer Radio is going to be covering that game and doing something a little bit different, a little bit special. We're doing a live tailgate talk at the game. So a lot of logistics we've had to figure out for doing that, but it's going to be really neat. So definitely tune in for that August 30th. And Another thing on your schedule is coming up the fall confirmation schedule. Uh, lots of confirmations this yeah, year? Yeah, at least I think about a dozen in the fall. There's no way. I can't do them all in the spring. There's yeah. not enough time. So some parishes have really helped me out, and they they schedule their confirmations in the fall. So I have a number of them. I think about a dozen in the fall. So that's all set. Yeah, there's a lot of annual events that take place in the fall, too, uh-huh. that are already on my schedule. So my fall calendar is pretty full. Yeah. Yeah. School visits, too? School do? visits. Well, I always do my high school official full-day visits in, like, January, February, March. Uh-huh. Uh, but I try to visit a few grade schools every year. Mm-hmm. Usually try to visit five or six. My calendar is so packed that it's hard. So it might take a few years before I get around to visiting a grade school again. So. I think I have three or four already on my calendar for this academic year coming up, including like at the beginning of the academic year. I I think I can't, I don't have my calendar in front of me to tell you where, um, but I have some coming up. Yeah. All right. They're always a lot of fun. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. If you have any questions for Bishop, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash AskBishop, where you can also find past episodes of the show. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line 260-436-9598. And coming up, we have some questions about other faiths in the community, immigration, and more on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman here with our bishop, and I've got a bunch of questions that you've submitted. I will be asking those for Bishop to answer. Our first listener-submitted question is, can you talk about the relationships you have with leaders of other faiths in our community? 
Sure. You mean others than Christians or both I suppose, other Christians? I suppose both and. Yeah, maybe. both and. Yes. Um, I have very cordial relations with other religious leaders. Um, first of all, of other Christian churches and communities, some of the Lutheran pastors, mm-hmm. uh, I would say probably are the ones that I, I know the best. Okay. Um, of course, there are a lot of Lutherans in our diocese, especially on the Fort Wayne side, and also the Lutheran pastors up in Elkhart, I know very well. Very good relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been different ecumenical services that we've had together, and um, that's been very good. Also, I recently met a new uh, Orthodox priest in Fort Wayne, a really nice guy, and I met him and his wife and his his children. So I'm hoping to develop a relationship with the Orthodox. Mm -hmm. That would really be important. You know, my own ancestry, my grandfather was Greek Orthodox. So also some relationship with the Orthodox churches. The Episcopalians, um, I knew very well the former uh, Episcopalian bishop who was up in South Bend, uh, Bishop Little. We had a very good relationship, a close relationship, got together often. As far as non-Christians, I know some of the rabbis, the local rabbis. Mm -hmm. Uh, I did meet one of the uh, local imams up in in South Bend, but I've been involved in a couple different uh, activities with the Jewish community, one up in South Bend and and a few events in Fort Wayne. So I would say there's there's good cordial relationships, yeah. Is there an ecumenical, uh, I don't know, committee or a club or organization, or is there somebody in the diocese working for the Catholic Church that's in charge of some ecumenical relationships? Yes, we have an ecumenical officer in the diocesan office who does this work part-time, okay. Sean Storer, up in at the St. John Paul II Center in Mishawaka. Uh-huh. So he's like the key liaison. Oh, by the way, we also had a relationship with the Mennonites up in that side of the diocese, oh, sure. you know, up in the Goshen area. Mm-hmm. And I even spoke at Goshen College at a prayer service. Um, so, yeah, these are coming to mind, different yeah. ecumenical activities that I, I now remember. And it's just good to have those kind of good relationships. Um, but, yeah, we have ecumenical officer who kind of oversees some of those relationships. On the local level, there's various ministeria. Some are more active than others where the local clergy might get together mm-hmm. uh, for conversation, maybe some theological discussion, uh, maybe common prayer. We're you know, in a particular area, the priests and pastors of of other churches will will gather. Mm-hmm. There, some of that is going on in our diocese as well. Okay. Someone said immigration is in the news so much lately, especially with these potential ICE raids or ICE raids. What are your thoughts on this? It's so disheartening to read about. Well, you know the. Immigration enforcement actions by the Department of Homeland Security, that's been a concern of the church in the United States. These enforcement actions that, um, and, and a major problem that we see is how it separates families and um, causes a lot of suffering, you know, for children, their parents, and sometimes even panic in communities. Mm. Cardinal DiNardo, who's the president of our U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, made a statement um, just a week or two ago about this, that we really don't believe this is the right course of action and asking the administration to to reconsider. But I think there's another thing. Um, I think one of the reasons for it is to deter people, like especially these days Central Americans, from seeking refuge in the United States. When mm-hmm. when you think about 
some of these people from Central America, they're migrating here to find safety for their families. Mm -hmm. I mean, to get away from the drugs and the gangs and everything, they're really fleeing to save their lives in some some cases. So we're real concerned about a new rule on asylum eligibility. To take that approach um, that, that creates these barriers to people seeking asylum. When really, when you think about it, U.S. has often been a leader in, in, in the international community for providing asylum protection. But we worry about that. We want people whose lives or safety are in danger that we would be open to protecting them. Um, but if you have only an, enforce, an enforcement-only immigration approach, it's just not good. We need comprehensive immigration reform. We've been saying that for years and years. Mm -hmm. But especially if people are fleeing for their lives, they should be permitted to seek refuge in the United States. And for those who are facing removal proceedings, we have to make sure they have due process and always be treated with, with dignity, sure. you know, uh, even if someone is going to be deported. Ultimately, how do you solve this this crisis? It's a humanitarian crisis. We need to look at the root causes. Mm -hmm. What is it that's compelling these families to flee? Mm -hmm. and, and try to address the problems, for example, or help the people and the governments in Honduras and in Nicaragua and um, El Salvador. Mm -hmm. There's just so many vulnerable people. Um, sometimes people will be who can be very anti-immigration or anti-refugee, I say, well, think about your situation. If, if I was a, a father of a family, husband and father, and my teenage kids were being forced to participate in drug trafficking and gangs at the risk of violence if they don't participate, mm -hmm. I'd get them out of there. Yeah, You know, I don't care what it would take. I right. would get them out of there. Where do you go, though? You know, and of course, the United States has always historically been a place that welcomes people in these kinds of situations. Mm -hmm. We don't condone illegal immigration. I mean, we don't. I mean, but we need a more generous policy for refugees and immigrants. Yeah, we should be concerned about protecting our borders, but we also need to have great concern for those whose lives and safety are at risk. Mm -hmm. All right. Another listener shared, you have mentioned your Greek heritage on previous shows. Do you know when your family came over to this country? Was it through Ellis Island? Yeah, so it was just my grandfather, um, and he came through Ellis Island, yes, in 1906. Okay. And I think he was uh, like 18 years old. Huh. Yeah. I forget exactly, but I think he was around 18. And I think I might have said at the show, I was the only one in the family who's ever gone back to Greece to meet the relatives over there. So that was really yeah. a great experience. I think I've shared that story before, but I met my mom's first cousins. And yeah, so uh, so yes, my grandfather's name was Carl Dacus. And in Greek, it was Kyriakos Fidakis. Yeah. Huh. So yeah. And so then... Where would your grandmother have been from? She was Irish descent. Okay. She was American, but Irish descent. Okay. So the Greek, my Greek grandfather married an Irish grandmother. That's why we're all Catholic. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. 
All right. Well, if you have any questions, you can ask them by going to RedeemerRadio.com slash Ask Bishop. You can call or text the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598. And we have questions asking what bishop would name a new church and if he has any favorite churches coming up here on Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes, brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. What's the difference between Notre Dame Federal Credit Union and a bank? Well, banks are owned by investors looking to make a profit. Notre Dame FCU is different. We are a not-for-profit member-owned cooperative. Our mission is to help our members improve their lives by providing products and services that save them money. If we end up with too much money ourselves, we simply give it away to our members' favorite charities. Last year, over a million dollars. You already share our values. Why not share in our benefits? Notre Dame Federal Credit Union. Welcome back to Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes. I am Kyle Hyman, asking the questions that you have submitted for Bishop Dancer. Someone asked... Is there a sacrament that you miss celebrating regularly from your days as a parish priest? I'd say baptisms, you know. Uh, I mean, I still do baptisms, but not nearly as many as I did as a parish priest. Mm -hmm. Um, And of course, a lot fewer weddings. Sure. Um, Of course, I do a lot more confirmations. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I don't hear confessions as often as Mm -hmm. I could have as a priest. But I would say probably baptisms are what I miss the most. They're just such wonderful occasions for families. Yeah. When you were doing baptisms, was it all infant baptism? Were you very, other than the Easter Vigil, were you very often baptizing non-infants? Well, it'd be infants or or little children. Uh, Some people, uh, for one reason or another, Maybe, you know, there'd be some two or three-year-olds, which would always be difficult because imagine <laughs> trying to get them. You have to kind of restrain them yeah. to, to pour the water over them <laughs> yeah. when they're that old. But, um, but yeah, most were infant baptisms, and uh, sometimes it'd be just one or sometimes it'd be several uh-huh. babies at a time. You know, we usually did them on Sunday afternoons in my the parishes where I served. As I said, occasionally I get to do a baptism uh-huh. still, but not as often. You find usually the infants are uh, sleeping, content, and awake, or crying. All of the above. Okay. <laughs> yes, I've been. I've had baptisms where the baby screamed the whole ceremony, <laughs> and then it's a very short homily. Yeah. Right. Uh, and then I have others where they've been just very content. Uh-huh. I always say, f- try to feed the child before. Try to feed the baby uh-huh. before the baptism. That sure. helps a lot. Yeah. All right. Another listener asked, if our diocese were to build a new church and parish, what would you like its name to be? That's a funny question because I've thought about that. Have you? Yeah, I have. Now, I've had opportunities to name like the chapels in our high schools and Mm -hmm. things like that or some buildings that we've had like the St. John Paul II Center Uh in Mishawaka. But we haven't had any new parish. So, uh, I haven't had that opportunity. We don't have any in the works either. But, you know, I've thought about, you know, St. Maximilian Colby's one I've thought about. Uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta is another. Um, St. John Paul II, 
there are some that I have thought of. Um, some of the more recent saints. Yeah, yeah. Or I would probably also, even though I would have the final decision, I'd probably consult with the people, maybe yeah. take a poll. Like we did that with the chapel at Bishop Dwyer High School, where all the students and the faculty and alumni could vote for which saints to be in the stained glass mm -hmm. windows. And I went with the top vote getters okay so i'd probably do something like that what i would do as a condition is i would say it can't be a saint that we already have a church named after right yeah we because got I, some I, duplicates already yeah, we have a lot of duplicates we have a lot of saint joseph churches and 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 things like that so i would want to uh have something that that we don't have as a, a name a title at this point but i don't know that i'll ever have that opportunity or not yeah, yeah. traditionally oh i also did um name the divine mercy Oh, sure. Home, yeah. Which was very special. That was your idea? It was, yeah. And then traditionally, how were the churches that we have today, how were they named? Were they by the the people that were getting together and say, we need to build a church here and they would come up with a name or would it have come from the bishop at the time? I think it would have probably come from the bishop at okay. the time. Um you a lot know, of times you'll have like a, a Polish community picks a Polish saint or something like that. Maybe the people recommend it. Okay. I, yeah, that's a good, you know, I don't know for sure if the, I mean, it would have to have the approval of the bishop, but maybe it originated with the bishop. Uh, I don't know. All right. Another question of all the churches and cathedrals you have visited, do you have a favorite? Wow. That is a tough question. I, I guess... I would have to say the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, and I'm not saying it because of its beauty or anything like that or its mm -hmm. architecture, but the fact that that's where Christ died and, mm -hmm. and then rose from the dead. Um, so I would say the Church of the Holy Sepulchre in Jerusalem would be number one. Hmm. I would say St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, sure, of course. Number two, I'd say number three, a place that really I love is Our Lady of Guadalupe Shrine in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. Again, not for the architecture yeah, at all. Yeah, it's kind of a funny looking building. Yeah, it's kind of modern and it's not that pretty, but the tilma is there. Um, so really for me, it's I, I guess I'd have to look at this question in two ways. Like, I, I what do I mean by favorite? Mm -hmm. Favorite for me is the meaning of the place. That's why I would say Holy Sepulchre mm -hmm. in Jerusalem is number one. And St. Peter's being number two because it's the center of the church. St. Peter's buried there. Our Lady of Guadalupe is my favorite Marian sanctuary. If I had to look at, okay, beauty and art and architecture, mm -hmm. that would be a different thing. You yeah. know, I'd probably say, well, St. Peter's still would be up there. Yeah. Um, but I love St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York, okay. Notre Dame in Paris, um, Chartres Cathedral in France, uh -huh. some of those beautiful, the Cologne Cathedral, those beautiful cathedrals of Europe, both Romanesque and Gothic. It's hard to narrow it down. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking, uh, you know, one place that impacted me a lot was Hagia Sophia in Istanbul hmm. because of its history. I mean, the fact that Hagia Sophia was was the, the main church in the East. And in our own diocese, we have some beautiful churches. I, I would say the Basilica of the Sacred Heart at Notre Dame mm -hmm. uh, is my favorite church as far as art and architecture in the diocese. Uh -huh. And the Cathedral of the Immaculate Conception of Fort Wayne would be, a would be second. Uh -huh. I like the Basilica of the National Shrine in Washington. 
I like all the side chapels. It's a great place to pray. Yeah. So I'm sorry, Kyle, I'm going on and on with all these churches and I was asked to name one. <laughs> Do you get different feelings? And I don't know if you're a feeling person per se, but like when you, when you talk about the Holy Sepulchre, do you do you get a sense of the holiness of the place when you go in there? Or? Yeah, I do. And I would say I felt that walking, going into the edicule where the actual tomb is. I mean, I really, yeah, feelings of, oh my heavens, this is where mm. Jesus' body was placed after the crucifixion. This is where he rose from the dead. I mean, it's just an overwhelming feeling of, of wonder and awe. Huh. I also have that feeling when I looked at the tomb of Our Lady of Guadalupe, okay. that was just, that really also deep feelings came when I was there. And I could probably say that happened a few other places. I love visiting churches and mm -hmm. cathedrals and basilicas. Rome is a city of churches and beautiful churches. And then to find like tombs of saints to be able to pray at or, or martyrs, that's always very meaningful as well. And did you say that you used to give tours of some of these? Yeah, I did. The four major good. basilicas in Rome, I would give not official tours, but, okay. but tours for visitors, like yeah. from the diocese or yeah. from from uh, friends or whatever. When I was a student, I kind of studied the the art and architecture and history of the four major basilicas. Just on your own? On my own, uh -huh. yeah. Well, I'd, and I had been on tours, so I was listening sure. because I'd have so you know a lot of people visiting, uh -huh. and I'd take them through. So then I started studying so that I could point things out about the history and the art of of mainly the four major basilicas: Saint okay. Peter, Saint Paul outside the walls, Saint Mary Major, and Saint John Lateran. Mm -hmm. Another place I like to give tours of though was Saint Clement or San Clemente because that's a really neat church. It's near the Colosseum, but it's three levels, three churches built one atop the other. Huh. The, the main level is medieval, like 13th century, I think. And it's, uh, so when you walk in, you're in this 13th century church. But then if you go down in the crypt, it's a fourth century church. And actually hmm. Saints Cyril and Methodius are buried down there in, the, in that level. But then you can go even lower into the first century which would have been the home of Pope St. Clement, but also you see the old Roman streets from the first century and a pagan uh, Mithraic temple, one of the pagan religions huh. that's still there. Yeah, the ruins of it is still yeah. there. So, I mean, that's kind of incredible. You go in there, and so you, you go from the 13th century to the fourth century and down to the first century. So that's a really neat, neat place to visit in Rome. Do you have to have special access for that? No, I no. mean you. Ha I think you pay to go down into the crypt and okay. into the, but you don't pay for the upper church. Yeah, and there's a beautiful mosaic in the upper church that um, is pretty famous in art of um, all these uh, tree branches and uh, branching out. It's really beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's all kinds of treasures like that you can discover in Rome, these beautiful medieval churches, but even even churches older than the Middle Ages. All right. Lot, so lots of favorites, basically. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> lots of favorites. Uh, all right. Terry Quaich from St. Patrick's Parish in Arcola said, I'm looking for a way to give back to the diocese. Is there a need for service slash comfort dogs? I've never uh, received any 
correspondence or anything about someone needing a service dog. Okay. So I really don't know of that need. At least they haven't come to the diocese asking for it, to my knowledge. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have a lot of needs. Um, <laughs> when people generally ask me, well, how can we, if they want to support something financially, mm-hmm. I'll always say seminary education. That's such a big item on our diocesan budget. Mm-hmm. So they could either give to an endowment towards our endowment for seminary education, which is the St. John Paul II Endowment Fund, Mm -hmm. or they can give it to our ordinary seminarian fund like we have for the Pentecost collection. So if they give it to the ordinary fund, that can be used right away Mm -hmm. to help pay the bills that we get, tuition, et cetera, for our seminarians now. They put it in an endowment, that's long-term. So it sits there, but it generates interest, and that interest, some of the interest can be used each year. But So some people prefer not to have the money tied down by an endowment. Others prefer giving to the endowment because that's long-term, and mm-hmm. we know it can guarantee. I mean, if we had a big endowment, that would help us tremendously. Mm-hmm. But you really need to get a lot of money in an endowment fund so it produces the income that you need. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as volunteer work do you, any specific needs that you would direct would, people to yeah i would recommend besides volunteer activities in the parish i mean that's where most of sure. the volunteer activity happens i mean or joining groups like the saint vincent de paul society but they're parish based also mm-hmm. but on a Dawson level i would recommend catholic charities mm-hmm. which sometimes has need for volunteers that's on a diocesan level as far as i'd have to give it some thought of other uh, volunteer opportunities in the diocese, but on a diocesan level, but Catholic Charities is what comes first to my mind. All right. Well, thank you again, Bishop, for another great episode of Truth and Charity. Could we get your Episcopal blessing before we go? Be happy to. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Now and forever. Our help is in the name of the Lord. Who made heaven and earth. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Bishop. You're welcome, Kyle. Truth and Charity with Bishop Rhodes is brought to you in part by Notre Dame Federal Credit Union.